let's we'll read this morning from Colossians chapter four. I'm just going to read what uh, I received from God today for me personally, and um, I'm sure that God would have it for all of us. This is Colossians the fourth chapter. And we're just going to read the first six verses. It says this, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all prayer also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you yourself may know and experience how you ought to answer every man. When I read this this morning, first thing I thought, the first thoughts that God gave me is when it says masters give, and that's what a true master does because of what it says here also. You masters, you that are over others, the reason you are is to give. Give unto them. We know that love, who God is, is always giving. And this is what this speaks of. And of course, when it says that which is just, and we know this, that God, who gives, can only give through grace, but he gives those because of what Christ has accomplished. He gives his love and his justice, which has been fulfilled. So it's, he's not kept back. God is not kept back from giving through his son, who's met all his justice, so his love can flow freely. And in our relationships, this is what it's teaching us, because then we always know, meaning we always experience that we also have a master in heaven. Again here, and this brings to my mind, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Our treasure is in heaven, and that's Christ, who... who is actuated and active in us in Second Corinthians 4, 7, through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we always know this, we always experience that we have a master. And so we are to store up our, of where our true treasure is, and that is allowing Christ for, for, for us to be his vessels, his servants that he can flow through. And this is what Matthew 6, verse 21 brings out, that where your treasure is, there will your heart, everything about you will be also. And then, of course, if your eye be single. And when our eye is single, when Christ is everything, he masters us. And then he, through us, masters and gives his love and his fulfilled justice uh, to those that are ready to receive it. And then we know it. So knowing here is always a proper experience that we have a master in heaven. So for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, your mind. In Matthew 6 and verse 21 and verse 22, if your eye be single, 
Christ being everything, and we're mastered by him, then your whole body will be filled with light, meaning we'll have that love and that wisdom and that grace that God gives to us that can flow through us to others. And then, then it says, but if, you're, but if your eye be evil, meaning we take our eye off of Christ, if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. Then if the darkness, if the light that be in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? And this is obviously is the deception of the enemy who is, functions as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, and then wants us to function under him and to be mastered by him so that he, through our flesh, can master others. And we know that, of course, in Christ, that's an impossibility. So to have him, to always remember that we are mastered. See? We're mastered by our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. So that's why it says again in, in Matthew 6 and verse 24 that you and I, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot worship two masters because we will either hate one and cleave to the other or cleave to one and hate the other. Because you, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot be controlled without confusion with two masters. So this is very beautifully teaching us this. How do we continue to function experientially, hooked up and, and united and, and, and tied in Colossians 2, to knit together to our master in heaven? That word knit there in Colossians 2, 2 is, is sum biadzo, biadzo, and it means to be so linked up to him. And this is how it happens. This is how we continue to function experientially and be mastered by our precious Lord who is in heaven and mastered through that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue in prayer. And prayer always teaches dependence. Again, Acts 6, verse 4, we will give ourselves to prayer. And when we do, we're allowing ourselves to be mastered by Christ. And then he takes the word and he ministers the word to us. And then he does so through us. And flesh is not mixed. And then others, I receive Christ without the interference of the flesh. And then others do the same as he flows through us. So this continuing in prayer is always teaching dependence. And then at the same time, we watch. We watch. And see, we can't know, we can't watch for all the traps that the enemy has set for us. Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man is a snare. It's like a jinn. A fear of man... Functioning, a man functioning under Satan is like a snare to catch us so that the enemy, uh, when our will is not submitted to him, uh, our will becomes, uh, becomes captured by Satan and then he get, begins to master us. He masters us through fear, through doubt, through worry. And when Christ isn't our master, then the love and and fulfilled justice, everything about God being satisfied through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't flow to us because it only flows through grace. And God only gives grace to us, obviously, in our experience when, he's, uh, when we are humbled by him and then he gives us grace to make these adjustments so that now, once again, we do have our minds renewed in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2 and in Ephesians 4 and verse 23 we become renewed again, knowing who our true master is. And then, then we, it allows us to watch 
we not only become aware of the traps that the enemy has set for us uh, in the flesh through prayer, but then, then God allows us to watch for others. And this goes into beautiful prayer life. This brings into mind 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13, where it says, quit you like men, be men. Watch and be strong in the Lord, but watch for yourself. If we don't watch for ourselves, we have no way of watching for others. And we, we are no longer masters of ourselves through Christ. But we begin to watch for others. Then, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 14, we begin to do all things through that love that, that, that Christ has fulfilled, that God is in us. We begin to love. And, and, and then what do we do when, we, when we're occupied with Christ? He, with Christ? he is the very substance of our thanksgiving. And thanksgiving here goes into proper worship. And we can't give proper worship to God. John 4 and verse 23, that God is searching for true worshipers. Of course, this brings into, and this is John 4 and verse 23. This brings into our mind a tr true worshipers. And, and true worshipers are, are those that are occupied with Christ and occupied with God. And so a true worshiper, this enters into, obviously, thanksgiving. We enter into a very thankful spirit. And we're able to thank God for all things in, in Ephesians uh, 5 and verse 20. And then we can thank him in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, in all things. Because Christ is all in all in us. In Colossians 3.11, and he's mastering us uh, with such a love, with the authority of his love, with power. You see, God has not given us, in 2 Timothy 1.7, he's not given us the spirit of fear, you see, but of power. Christ being that power in 1 Peter 1.5, that keeps us. And then that power brings in a love in 2 Timothy 1.7, and a well disciplined mind, how to think properly, watch properly uh, for ourselves and for others. Because at first we have to watch for ourselves so that we can have the privilege to watch with Christ for others. Then with all, it says praying also for us. That what? And this just brings in, into mind spiritual warfare that each and every single one of us are involved in. In Ephesians 6.10, right into verse 19. And this is where Paul is even saying, after we have all this teaching, all the armor of Christ that we are to put on, and, and we help each other too, by the way, as joints that supply in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, we help each other put that on to remind each other of who we are in Christ and the armor that we need in the midst of spiritual warfare. And so then we pray. And we pray for others, and it's extremely important. Those that pray for others, this is, it, it is the height of a self-sacrificial love to pray. Entering into prayer is so important. And to pray for those, and that's what Paul was saying, in, uh, through the Holy Spirit through Paul was saying in Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, to continue to pray for what? That a that God would open, and see, God has to do the opening. And when he does, no man can shut it. We see this in Revelation 3, 
8 through 10, that when God opens doors, no man can shut. says the same thing in Job 12 and verse 14, that God, when he opens, no man can shut, and when he shuts, no man can open. And, and this door of utterance for the unsaved, in terms of being evangelist, giving each man an opportunity in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, and the Holy Spirit through Christ in us beseeching them to be reconciled to God. And we see this very, very clearly. But that God would open a, a door of utterance. And so, and we know that when God opens doors, when there's an open door, even when there's adversaries. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9, it says that uh, that. There's a great and effectual door opened, and that's always the opportunity that not just pastors and teachers, but every believer in Christ can open their mouth and that be a door of utterance to Christ. That he would open a door of utterance to what? To speak the mystery of Christ. Not that it's mysterious, but it's a mystery because most don't know it. See, that's what makes it so important to be mastered by him so that Christ is no longer a mystery to us and no longer a mystery to others. And so then we speak the mystery of Christ for what is, is the enemy does so much to try and hide him in 2 Corinthians 4, 3. If our gospel, our Christ, the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost and, and it can be hidden to us through the flesh. And that's why we need to have it constantly dealt with in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. And then so that we can take up the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6 and verse 17. Take it up for ourselves and for others. And so it says that this mystery of Christ, for which also, he says, for which I am also in bonds. And when this was written, when Paul was writing this, there were imprisonments, different imprisonments that he had. He would, and this imprisonment here, this is why it's, this is known as in, in these epistles in Ephesians and, and, and Philippians and Colossians, uh, they're called the prison epistles because he was in prison, but he did not consider himself to be a prisoner of the world. He said that he was a prisoner of Christ. And the picture that he had in mind was that he was, in the way that he was physically chained to a Roman guard, what he was saying was that he was chained to Christ and nothing can separate him from being our master when we are chained to him in complete dependence and prayer with thanksgiving and proper worship. And so that's what he was, uh, that's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us today. And then he said that I may make it manifest. This is a very beautiful principle that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Should we speak outside of Christ? Any, any speaking outside of Christ for any of us is Ephesians 4 and verse 29. It says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And then it doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, pain him from where he has to stop because he can't reveal Christ through the flesh. And this is what makes it so necessary for us in constant dependence to be separated from it and to have the right preaching and teaching of the word that will do that separating, sanctifying process in John 17. 
in verse 17. And as we ought to speak. And then what do we do? We walk in wisdom. You see, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ, the power of God, and what? The wisdom of God. You see, God is always active in his love. That's why it says masters give. That's what love does. It's always giving. God is always giving, always. And so when it says here that he might make it manifest as he ought to speak, to walk in wisdom towards them that are without. You know, there's many unsaved that are without. And in terms of salvation, yes. But there are many believers in Christ who in this sense are without him experientially because they don't know him intimately. That yet we can walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time, you see. And so what that means is, is that God will always give me an opportunity. As he, as he through me, redeems others, he's, con he's continually having me to experience that life that is a constant redemptive means and measure. And we're to only measure ourselves by who Christ is in us and who we are in him. Then, then we redeem the time, and time is so very important. It's such a great opportunity. The time has shortened, is shortened in 1 Corinthians 7, 29. And then we are to redeem it by being mastered by Christ in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, because the days that we live in right now are evil in act of opposition to God's divine good in us, Christ in us. And the enemy does everything he can to keep it from flowing. And that's the flesh that becomes the interference in us. But that we can redeem the time because the days are, are evil. Because there is, there's going to be a time when it will be no more. And in Revelations 10 and verse 6, time will be no more. And we enter into the eternal state of fixedness in Revelations 22 and verse 11. But here we have this great opportunity. We have this great opportunity, this thing called time. And time is this great parenthesis. The parenthesis for time is eternity. And what an opportunity it is for the eternal mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 to enter into time through us as we're mastered by him. Then we let our speech, well, speech will always be, always be with grace. And what does that speak of? That speaks of Christ in us the fullness of grace and truth in John 1 and verse 14. And then he begins to multiply it in 2 Peter 1 and verses 4 and 5. And then, then he heaps up grace upon grace he gives us. Of his fullness have we all received and grace heaped up and then some more piled up on top of grace in John 1 and verse 16. We let our speech be always with grace. Notice what it says, seasons with salt. This brings into mind the beautiful truth here of Ezra, and we'll see this as, as we read it this morning. Ezra, in, in Ezra chapter 7, and we can read it here in Ezra 7 and verse 22. And this is all picturing in type of who Jesus Christ is. And we see here how it is to be done. We see in verse 21, it says, in, in Ezra chapter 7, it says, I, even Artaxerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasures which are beyond the river that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, notice he's the God of heaven, will require of you 
it to be done speedily. This speaks of absolute obedience. Absolute obedience here. And then he's saying right now uh, how to prepare this offering. It's to be a hundred talents of silver. And silver always speaks of redemption. Always. And it's a hundred. It's God himself plus nothing plus nothing. And, and silver. And to a hundred measures of wheat. And we know in, in John 12 and verse 24, except a cone of wheat fall into the ground and die and abides alone. But if it dies, it'll bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. And so that's wheat. And to a hundred baths of wine, and we know that wine makes glad the heart of men. It's, it's the grapes, and the grapes had to be crushed to, to pour out life for us to be able to drink in. And to a hundred baths of oil, and the oil here speaks of the Holy Spirit, and, and that's the anointing uh, in 1 John 2.20, and we all have that in Christ in 1 John 2 and verse 27. And so that the Holy Spirit, when he takes the things of Christ and it's him alone, we don't have any, we don't have any man, natural man, fleshly man to teach us in 1 John 2 and verse 27. And then it says this, and I love this, and it says salt without prescribing how much. And that speaks of grace. And that's what our speech is to be seasoned with. That's what it's to be seasoned with. And then as we wrap this up this morning, we go back here to Colossians, the fourth chapter, and we see finally in that sixth verse here where it says, let your speech, your whole communication, your whole thought life be always with grace, mastered by our loving Savior, mastered by his grace, and seasoned with that grace that becomes salt. Salt back then, they didn't have any kind of refrigeration. So salt was used to preserve. It was used to preserve. And that's a picture of its grace that preserves and keeps the purity of the word of God that we're to feed on, to feed on Christ, to keep it pure, and not to mix the flesh with it. And that's, again, bringing in Romans 12, 1 and 2, so that we be, and then we put on Christ in Ephesians 4, 20, uh, to uh, to 24, but at verse 23, we have our minds renewed. And that means to put off the old and to put on the new. And this can only happen by grace. And we only grow in grace and, and, and experience truth through that grace that Christ is in Second Peter 3 and verse 18. Then our life becomes seasoned with that grace that we may know, experience, how we ought to answer every man. And what a, what a lesson of how we ought to answer every, you know. We won't know how to answer others if we don't have Christ. And then we close with this, that it says, Masters give. And that's our Lord. Oh, God so loved the whole mass of humanity that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have and experience eternal life, Zoe, not everlasting, but eternal life, to take us out of everlasting life and bring us into an eternal uh, life where the past is gone, Christ is our present life, that we're on our way to in our future, and that future has to do with glory in Colossians 1 and verse 27, and that's why we need the cross here, 
in Galatians 6 and verse 14, that God forbids that we should glory in anything here except in the cross of Jesus Christ, of whom the whole world is crucified unto us and we unto the world system. And so then it, that's why it says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just. You see, this is the love and the justice of God met fully by Jesus Christ, who's propitiating the Father. Thus the Father could give him as, as the substitute, the Son as a substitute whereby we would need to be reconciled. God the Father never had to be reconciled. He never had to be in his thoughts towards us. But he had to be propitiated so that his love and justice, his justice could be met, so that his love could flow through grace to those through Christ as a substitute whereby we could be reconciled. And this is where the word comes in and teaches us and shows us how fully we've been reconciled. And this is redeeming the time. And this is what and this is what it's saying. His love, which gives, is just, fulfilled, and then equal. We all need grace. And if Christ masters us, he does, then we become proper initiates. As Christ is our head, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Christ is the head of every man. The head of, head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. We see how this flows beautifully. And so then we are all equal. See, we were all equal in our guilt in Romans 3 and verse 19. God saw that all were guilty. And he put it, all that would be guilty, so that all could be equal in receiving Christ through grace and experience the truth of God's thoughts towards them and not, no longer the lies of the enemy in John 8 and verse 44. And then, because now knowing and experiencing, when Christ is our head, we experience that he is our master in, in, in heaven, waiting for us for our face-to-face -face meeting with him. And we haven't seen him right now, but we know him. In first, uh, Peter 1 and verse 8, having not seen, we still love. We're on our way to our face-to-face -face meeting. In First Corinthians 13, 12, to have an eternal fellowship with him individually is brought out with a hidden man in the white stone in Revelations 2. In verse 17. And then we continue in prayer, in dependence. And then we watch in the same. Boy, we have so much to be thankful for. And then we ask for others to pray for us, that God would continue for each other to give us, to open a door. Because, oh, how Christ stands at the door of so many in us. And he knocks. And he knocks through us in Revelations 3 and verse 20. That's, that's knocking on the door of those that are his. That somehow they would open it through their will and allow Christ to come in. For them to experience fully, oh, how he's such a loving master over those that are his. So that they can in turn become mastered by him experientially. And then, in turn, he can use them for others. And this is what this is teaching us. Not just pastors and teachers, not just an apostle in Ephesians 6, 19, but others in 6, 18 of Ephesians. A door of utterance to speak so that Christ is no longer a mystery, so that they're no longer lost. Listen, if our gospel be hid, it can be, it can be, 
The enemy wants to hide it in terms of salvation in 2 Corinthians 4.3. For the unsafe, but he wants it to be hidden from Christians so that they don't know fully who Christ is. And that's why it says, if our gospel be hid in 2 Corinthians 4.3, is hid to them that are lost. Notice how it happened. In whom the God of this world, a God of this world, who give all kinds of false teaching, take the word of, of Christ out of context and make it fleshly works so that people live in bondage to the flesh and uh, to flesh of who Satan is the master of. And, and so he brings this out beautifully uh, that, so that we can walk in wisdom inwardly towards those that are, that are without with our speech always seasoned with grace. And uh, so that we become a prisoner of the Lord. When it says here, he said, for which I am also in bond. He's, what he's saying there is Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1. He was saying, I used to be Saul, a prisoner of the enemy, a prisoner mastered by Satan, interpreting God, interpreting the scriptures through the lies of an of the enemy in his interpretation. But then when Christ won me on the road of Damascus in Acts 9, 1 through 6, I became a prisoner of the Lord in Ephesians 3, 1, in Ephesians 4, 1. And if you look at those places where when we are a prisoner of the Lord, watch the flow of it in Ephesians 3, verse 1. Watch the flow of it in the body of Christ. Individually in Ephesians 3, verse 1, individually a prisoner of the Lord, and then I can be a prisoner for others in Ephesians 4 and verse 1 for the body of Christ. And this is what he's teaching us this morning, that, it, that I, each of us, may make it manifest to even each other how we ought to speak to each other and to know no man after the flesh in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, because all things are new. They're already new in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. We walk in wisdom first towards them and we become joints in the local assembly. Then we go out from there to one others as we are, as our speech is always. See, God is always loving us through grace. Seasoned with that salt, that grace is, that we may know, experience how you and I ought to answer every man. We as men, men and women, we need to know how God answers us through Christ as he masters us through the power of Christ by, excuse me, by the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and shows them unto us when Christ is mastered, when we're mastered by Christ, when we're dependent on him, that allows the Holy Spirit to flow freely and take those things, take the written word, and make it a life-giving force and flow of the authority of God's love through grace to us. And that is, as it flows through us to others, members in the body, then we go out with Christ and become his ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20. And Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word today, your precious counsel to us, and, and, and just how much you've given us. And we are so thankful in Jesus' name.